Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Are you excited to smash the glass ceiling today? Yeah. I would love to. I would love to do that every day. Fair enough, but uh, we're definitely going to be talking about that today, and we're going to give you some statistics and information about the wage gap, and then we're going to empower you to go ask for that raise that you deserve. Awesome. I like it. Let's dive right in. All right. So... I wanted to start this off by addressing the fact that there are still people out there that do not believe that the wage gap is a thing. I'm confused. I know. (laughs) Please help. (laughs) There are people, and I've gotten into fights with people on the internet that, um, which is obviously the greatest place to argue, that, you know, the wage gap isn't a thing. Women choose to leave the workforce. They don't want high-paying jobs. They aren't ambitious. They want to stay home and raise their families. Yeah. No, like, um, I'm sure if we were able to offer our daycare services provider more money, she would definitely turn it down. Definitely. Just out of the goodness of her heart. I just wanted to address the fact that if anyone listening out there in the universe thinks that the wage gap is not a thing, you're just wrong. Yeah. Turn the podcast off now, please. Unsubscribe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess on a more serious note, but also I feel like that was pretty serious. I wanted to dive into some statistics because I love numbers. So I pulled a bunch of stats for a bunch of different demographics of women because I feel like that's one area we can continue to get better at here on the Pink Tax Podcast is making sure that we are talking about all different types of women. So overall, Canada received a ranking of a B grade for the wage gap. We were ranked 10th among 16 countries, so not bad, not great. Unsurprisingly, Norway, Denmark, and Sweden were the top three. Yeah. And our B rating translated into 84 to 87 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Can I interject? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, this is your podcast too, man. Averages, for one. And I'm sure we're going to get there because you just said about demographics. But this is averages. And we're, we're looking at those kind of things. Who are the highest paid ladies around? White females. Yep. So here we go. Indigenous women working full-time, and these are all full-time statistics, which I think is important to mention. It was full-time earnings and full-time wages. So Indigenous women earn an average of 35% less than non-Indigenous men. So we, not we, I'm, I'm going to restart that because I'm not Indigenous. Mm-hmm. So Indigenous women working full-time, and I think that that's something important to note. We are talking about full-time hours and full-time wages earn an average of 35% less than non-Indigenous men. So they earn 65 cents to the dollar. So Mm -hmm. there goes that B rating. Racialized women working full-time, full wages, 
earn an average of 33% less than non-racialized men. So 67 cents on the dollars, on the dollars, on the dollar. Newcomers, newcomer women, earn 29% less than non-newcomer men. So 71 cents on the dollar. And the worst of them all, disabled women earn 54 cents to the dollar Mm -hmm. compared to non-disabled men. Now, I dug a little bit deeper before I get your reaction because I can see your shining face has an Mm -hmm. opinion about this. But um, I dug a little deeper into Alberta. So both Tara and I live in Alberta. Uh, Alberta actually got a D rating. We have the third highest gender wage gap among 26 regions in this report. And our difference in median earnings was closer to 25% between men and women. And only Japan and Newfoundland were worse than us. Mm-hmm. Newfoundland has an interesting industry sector as well, which I think plays a part in Alberta's income disparity. So one of the numbers, I, I don't know if you have it, but if you compare, you know, uh, truck drivers, you know, heavily uh, represented by men, truck drivers, and then do you have this? I'm giving this- Tara the heart <laughs> sign across the table because I literally have in here, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Uh, female-dominated industries tend to average a lot lower than male-dominated industries. And I have truck drivers earn about $45,000 on average. It's overwhelmingly men. By contrast, the median annual salary for early childhood educators is Mm -hmm. Mm $25,000. So did I just steal all the words out of your mouth? Yes, you did, because I have that memorized, um, because I just think it's so impactful. It, It made a real difference to me to see that. Um, we happen to live in a province which we have, uh, you know, heavy reliance on the oil industry. Um, it's male-dominated fields. Um, and then where we have uh, women-dominated fields, if, if that's how you want to put that, um, they're making significantly less than what the men are just because – the men in the men dom- male-dominated fields are earning so much more than they might earn in other uh, provinces, jurisdictions, areas. Totally. And there's a lot of factors that I actually wanted to dive a little deeper in. And if you can't see us, which you can't, I did a little dive action. Um, but that was one of them. The other one is typically women are actually responsible or required to leave and re-enter the workforce much more than men. And I'm not just talking about maternity leave. I'm talking in caregiving responsibilities across, you know, sick family members, sick parents, old parents, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And this actually results in a loss of seniority and advancement opportunities. So when I hear people say like, oh, the wage gap isn't a thing, you need to compare the same positions there's also a piece of it that it's like well if I had to take five years out of the workforce to take care of my sick kid or my sick parent I've just lost five years of wages and five years of promotions so the wage gap is even bigger yeah and I think we can't really deal with that issue until we deal with evening out the playing field as a whole because if we live in Alberta and I'm a heterosexual person in a heterosexual relationship and the dude is earning more when we go to decide who's taking care of our kid and you just split it based on income, which makes sense, the lady is going to stay home. 
it, it kind of makes sense, but I, I'd also argue that if it's going to be like multiple years, then you're actually giving up like a significant amount of probably hundreds of thousands of dollars oh. in raises and all it, that stuff. It's a huge sacrifice. But when somebody calls and it's like, grandma needs you at the nursing home right now, it's not the guy who's working two on two off. It's the gal who's working the nine to five or, you know, seven to three or whatever to, to try and be able to do this. And if she takes the hit professionally, it's because they already have that gap to begin with. I think flexibility in work is great and has been amazing to move forward with that in our society. That being said, here in Alberta, there is a lot of those jobs that are two weeks on and two weeks off where they are flying people up to camp. So they have zero flexibility. So of course it's going to be mom that's going to go pick up the kid because they have flexibility, which is great, but it's also almost like a vicious cycle where it's kind of like Mm -hmm. a detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in addition to these factors, a couple other things that came up when I was doing the research on why the wage gap exists is typically or historically women were seen to have lower levels of education. So this is obviously becoming less and less true. In addition, women are less likely to work in unionized environments, which can be great advocates for making sure people are paid the same wage. As well, this is one I really want to dive into, but women are so underrepresented in leadership positions. So I think it was actually just a month ago that the last company on the S&P 500, so the 500th company, finally got a female on their board. So now all 500 have a female on their board, which is amazing. And, you know, we should celebrate that. But it's also like, Jesus Christ, it's 2019. Like, let's go. Why did it take this long? Exactly. And I mean, I'll never forget being at a conference and I think it was the founder of like Girls Who Code. I can't remember her name, Mm -hmm. but um, she said she got there and did a keynote and she said, you know, you cannot be who you cannot see. And that was like so profound to me that if you're not seeing women in these leadership positions, it's almost like unconsciously you kind of not leaning out, but in a sense, I mean, I looked at where I worked before and the only women that were in partner positions were women that were single or women that were married with no kids. Yeah. And I constantly at my, uh, at my work, I find women who have children who worked while their kids were young and I interview them. What held you back? What was your biggest struggle? Um, what made a difference? And I've like, don't pull any punches on that kind of thing because I want to know. I want to know what you had to overcome to succeed because that's that's me right now working with a small child and I don't want to give up my work. I, I don't. I'm not going to. So what have they said? Like I'm so curious. Uh, a lot of old boys club. Um, the a worst. Lot, the worst. A lot of, um, you know, the opportunities aren't handed to you um, the same way that they are to men. Uh, some women are set up to fail, which will maybe link to this too. There's a Freakonomics episode um, on how female CEOs, when they do come about, they're usually put in place when the company is failing. Um, so that's interesting. 
Um, but you see that in regular office work and everything like that. You can be set up to fail. I've, I've heard and seen that a few times. Um, and then even from the daycare or the nursing home or whatever, my, my partner and I, we're both listed as contacts. And you get the form and it says, call this person first. I was called first several times and my first question was, did you call my partner? No. And he's a high income, he's a higher income earner in our relationship, but he has more flexibility and we made the decision that he's the first call. I'm not. And so that's like something that's so societally ingrained in, you know, even the daycare workers or the teachers or the nursing homes that they're just going to call the female first. And so, you know, I don't have all the answers for this and I, and I, mean, I know you don't either. I mean, if we did, we would for sure solve it. But what can you tell some of our listeners to do in those situations when they are, you know, set up to fail or they are called first on the daycare list when they shouldn't be? Like what, what advice can you give? Yeah, I think unfortunately from my personal experience and from other people that I've talked to, um, you're going to have to outperform where, you know, any marginalized person is going to have to outperform. Um, so you have to outperform, you have to be more prepared. Um, and it's, if you're a mom, it's going to come with a ton of mom guilt. And there's going to be a bunch of people in society that are pushing against you and you have to just stay strong um, and have a good partner at home. And if they're not a good partner, find a good one. Like, really. Seriously, I was reading an article that Tara actually shared... And uh, it linked me to a TED Talk. And, you know, one of the, the items she talks about, she created a company from the ground up. One of the most important things, and I think I've mentioned this in an episode before, is you can't undervalue how important it is to have a supportive partner in an, a world where we are trying to fight for equality. Yeah. Yeah. I support my partner and he supports me and it's, it's equal. So when we talk about unconscious bias in the hiring process, in promotions, in compensation practices, what has your experience been with men that maybe aren't aware of it? Yeah, even men who are aware of it um, and even white people who aren't uh, or are aware of it, um, it still creeps in because you hang out with people who you're like in the office, outside of the office. Um, it's much easier to invite the person that you're like or who also likes that particular sporting event out for a beer. Um, so I think even when they're aware of it, you're if you have the opportunity to bump something someone up, if you have the opportunity to sponsor someone, if you have the opportunity to speak up for someone who's not in the room, you're going to do it for your friends first. And even if you're aware of the unconscious bias, if you're not actually stopping yourself and saying, wait, I'm not just going to put my buddy forward for this. Um, I'm going to find somebody who's different than me, who looks different than me, who has been meeting and exceeding the same KPIs as my buddy and put their name forward first. And, you know, if there are any men out there listening to this, my ask of you would be to do exactly that for women, which is, you know, I, I know it's sometimes easier to go out for beers with the, the boys and golf and have a four 
team of four. Is that what they're called? For foursome. A foursome. I was like, does that sound sexual? I don't know. It does a little. It's weird. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know about golf, but um, you know. Take a step back and ask yourself if you are a white male. And this is not like I, I love white men. Like they're great. Men are great. But ask yourself, you know, if you are stepping up for someone who doesn't look like you, because so often I see people hiring for positions and the person that they hire is like pretty much their identical twin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I think I'm aware of that too. Like, I'm aware of the privilege that I carry based on what I look like. Um, and I work with people from different backgrounds and everything like that. And even if they're not the person that I have um, a personal relationship with, it doesn't mean that they're not the best person for that role. And it doesn't mean that they're not the person that I should advocate for in that case. For sure. I mean, I, I you know, I asked white men, but it obviously extends to anyone with any sort of privilege and it's important to you know pause and check your unconscious bias mm-hmm. so moving on from the wage gap one of the ways that you can start to close that wage gap obviously demanding more from your partner from your boss from your company but also asking for a raise and so that is something that I wanted to talk about today because I think it's an actionable step that people can take, more specifically women, um, and it's something that can have a huge impact on your earnings and career long term because you're kind of seen as, for lack of a better word, a badass bitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just negotiate personally. I just negotiated myself a nice little ten percent raise. That Amazing! Was I was just fantastic. gonna say, like, tell me your experiences with negotiating your your raise and congratulations. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I always come fully prepared. Um, I know what, you know, the average is. I kind of have an idea of what um, they're going to offer me. And then I always have a value statement where I'm at, where I am now, what I'm contributing now, where I'm going to be in the future. Um, you know, name dropping is always fun too if you really need to. But yeah, like know who you are, know the connections that you have and know the value that you're bringing to to your um, organization, group, team, however you want to look at it and just stick to your guns, have your bottom line. And if they don't meet it, go somewhere else. And I feel like you just stole all of the points I was going to make, but no, um, I wanted to break them down a little bit more specifically, but that's amazing. That's exactly what I would tell people to do. Um, especially with the wage gap, you know, something as little as even 5%, people don't think is a lot of money, but that can add up to hundreds of thousands of dollars over your career. So it is something that is, you know, worthwhile, to be uncomfortable with for, you know, it's, it's 20 minutes of uncomfortable for mm-hmm. thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah, definitely go and get that. Um, a couple points I wanted to make, and again, would love to hear your experiences on this. One of the things that I think is important to remember, and as women, I feel like, you know, we've been taught for so long to, you know, stay in line and follow the, the course of things, but it doesn't necessarily... And when I say it, I mean asking for a raise doesn't necessarily have to be exactly in a promotion cycle or a performance cycle. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to wait until that, you know, every year at that same time. No, yeah. Oh, definitely not. And I mean, um, that might help you with negotiations and stuff too. 
wait until you have something in your back pocket that you can pull out and say, I am deserving of this. And it might be every six months. It might be every year. It might be a year one time, nine months the next time. You know, it's going to change based on who you are. And on that point, um, keeping a list or an Excel spreadsheet or whatever of, you know, the value you've added and contributed to the company in a notebook or a calendar or whatever is a great practice that you don't forget when you're looking back over the past year what you contributed. And, um, you know, hard numbers are always great. Like I increased whatever by 10%. Um, So writing those down can be a great way to negotiate, um, you know, a higher salary. I would say for myself, one of the ways I've, you know, ensured that I was getting promoted is most companies for like the next position up have like a list of whether it's like things you need to be doing or, you Mm -hmm. know, benchmarks you need to hit. And I just import those all into Excel and just start to write notes take some time every month and add in like where, what I've done and what of the things that I've met. And once I've met all of those at the next level, I will send it to my boss and be like, Sue, I'm already performing at the next level. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a raise or a promotion or whatever. Yeah. And I do something very similar. Um, And I'm also cognizant of, you know, you can come in at the lower level of that next bump. So say you've met the performance indicators or whatever that would get you that next level. But just because you start at the bottom of that pay grade doesn't mean you need to stay there. So you've reached whatever those indicators are that you had to make to get to the next level. But when you master them, you definitely deserve a raise. You don't necessarily need a promotion at that time, but you've already mastered that at your level. So why not ask for a raise at that point? For sure. So important. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that I read a couple of years ago was uh, giving a range when you're asking for a raise. And I think that this is interesting and can work um, when you have a good relationship with the person that you're you're asking for a raise for because typically they don't want to give you the lowest number. They don't want to seem cheap. Hmm. Right? So there's a little bit of psychology into this. And some of my negotiation tactics have come from the the book, Never Split the Difference, which is a fantastic read. It's an ex-FBI or CIA hostage negotiator. Cool. And it's it's a really good read um, because obviously if you're negotiating a hostage situation, you can't split the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gives a lot of actionable tips and the range when you have a relationship, if you say, I want between 60 and 70,000, is it likely you'll get 65? Probably not. Is it likely you'll get 70? Probably not. It's probably more likely that you'll get 62 or 63 just because Mm -hmm. they don't want to give you 60 because it'll seem cheap. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, have your number in your head where you want to get, so let's say I wanted 63, then I would give my range of like 60 or 61 to 70. Yeah. And Again, it doesn't always have to be an even number either. Sometimes having an odd number, and this is something I learned from that book, actually makes it seem or makes people believe, whether this is true or not, that you've put more time into calculating something and that you're more secure with the number that you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was an interesting tactic as well. So instead of asking for 63000 I would ask for 63420 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like. 
So yeah, I like that. I I do too, and um, we use that actually for negotiating the price of our house. Yeah, I was gonna say that's how we looked at uh, house price negotiations as well. Because if you have a weird number that ends in a four, you're like, ooh. They must know something I don't. <laughs> exactly. Like they must have some insider market knowledge. Yeah. And they're less likely to question or push back maybe on that number. Mm-hmm. One of the things um, that we were kind of, or that we came across actually when I was, you know, finishing up frantically two minutes before we recorded this, was um, getting salary information, like Tara mentioned, researching that information on websites like Glassdoor. And uh, I found myself down a deep Google hole and I came across, it's on the Career Contessa website and we will totally link this because I think it's a fantastic resource. It's called the Salary Project and basically it's similar to a glass door, but you can kind of sort this database by, you know, salary, by title of job, by industry, by age, by location, and you just have access globally so it's not just the U.S. because I did put on in all my information for Canada um available to you to use as data points and I mean Tara Mm -hmm. you've had some experience using that market research when you go into negotiate how has that worked for you uh really well because if you know what everybody else is being paid um I also ask my coworkers too what did you get like I want to know um Yeah, it's been super helpful because knowing the market average, you can say I am not at, you know, uh, you know, my factor should not be 1.0. You know, the value that I'm providing in this role is definitely more than market average. And something to remember on that is your employer wants to keep you because, you know, recruiting, if you walk over $4,000, let's say, because $4,000 is not that much to a company, but it might be, you know, a a significant raise for you or 5,000 or 10,000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I picked 4,000, but, um, it costs like at least $20,000 to hire someone new mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of start to get them trained. And then there's a ramp up period. So it's in the company's best interest to also appease you in that sense. If you are a, a strong worker and, um, asking your coworkers is so important. And if, you are a man. That is something that I think is so valuable is talk to your female coworkers about their salary. Make sure mm-hmm. they're getting paid the same amount as you for the same role. Mm-hmm. Um, I was super disappointed. One of my coworkers was a man and I asked him what he made coming in at the level that I was going to be promoted to and he said he wasn't comfortable telling me and I was super disappointed by that. But, um, you know, sometimes company culture is like don't share salary information but um, there are websites out there mm-hmm. like, you know, Glassdoor and this yeah. this salary project database, which is really interesting. For the corporate culture, like not sharing your salaries, I don't think it's actually a positive thing for corporate culture to not share salaries. For sure. You want to ensure people are progressing. Um, you want to make sure people are happy in terms of retention and the cost to hire and everything like that. And at the end of the day, uh, a a good employee, a great employee is invaluable, you know, especially if you're dealing with customers, which every industry is now. Everyone has a client at some place down the road. Um, so make sure that you keep your people and sharing salaries is only going to help because if you don't share your salary, the competitor will. And that 
you just jogged my memory. If you can't, you know, start to get some of this information from your coworkers, there's nothing wrong with if a competitor reaches out asking what the range is for that position and knowing what you could get by walking across the street. Maybe you love your company and you don't want to leave, but at least having that information is incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And what total compensation looks like elsewhere as well, right? Like what is what is your company's top competitor? What are they offering in terms of total compensation? Like what are the continuous learning will be huge going forward. What are they offering for that? What are they offering for pension? What are they offering for matching? What are they op- offering for maternity top up? And are you being compensated in your base salary if, if your benefits aren't comparable? For sure. So many ways to look at it. And you know, information is power. And I I know in the past companies have not wanted employees to talk about this, but that's because they don't want employees to have the power. So let's put the power back in the employees' hands and let's be open to sharing salary information with our employees and Mm -hmm. let's get that wage gap closed. Yeah. So the last piece of advice that I came across that I thought was super interesting and practice asking for a raise and recording yourself. And make sure you actually sound confident and make sure you actually, you know, are remembering all those points that you need to be asking and bringing to the table and all of your value statements. And I've never actually done that for asking a rate for a raise, but I think if it's your first time either practicing on a person or recording yourself, I think could be super valuable. Yeah. And I, for me, it's not the sound of my voice. For me, it's, I have nervous tics. I know I have nervous tics. Um, and when I'm in those situations, I'm aware of, you know, how long I'm maintaining eye eye contact for. Am I playing with my hands? Now is not the time for that. I can get that fidgeting out before or after, um, but not during that meeting. For sure. And once you start to understand your nervous tics or your filler words or whatever it is, you become like hyper aware in those situations because your, your cortisol levels are up because it's a stressful situation. So maybe you're filming yourself if you do have, you know, a nervous tick that isn't just a filler word. Maybe it's playing with your hands. Maybe it's pulling on your hair. Maybe it's picking your nails and be able to review that and be mindful of that so that you aren't actually doing that in a really important meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to practice on my partner. He gets a lot of this of, I'm going to do this, so I need you to sit here for the next hour, and I'm going to talk to you like your person A or B. The worst, Mm -hmm. though, is when they don't say what you have in your head for them to say as a script. That's not what I wanted you to say. (laughs) (laughs) That's not type A personality at all. (laughs) All right, so the pink tax rebate for this week is twofold. The first is to educate someone who will be an advocate for the gender wage gap. So someone willing to listen and understand the wage gap and all of its implications. And the second is to start to put together your case for your next raise, because that's going to come up sooner rather than later. And you need to be prepared for all of the ways that you as a fantastic woman have added value. Thanks for listening. And... We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your money story using the hashtag FemFinances. 